So today, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how Christ made a difference in an individual's life. So if you will, take your copy of God's Word and open up to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, we're uh, looking at verses 17 through 26. Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. We're continuing in this series of Who's Your One? And today we're looking at a very familiar passage of Scripture. A very familiar passage of Scripture that uh, have been used over the years many, many times. It's the account of where the four friends bring their paralytic friend to Christ. We say friend. We don't really know. But we, I mean, I, I don't know of any person who just doesn't know somebody who might potentially work so hard to bring somebody to Christ other than someone who has a relationship or understands the power of Christ to bring them to him. So I'm going to say friends. Okay, friends. Because if you truly like somebody, love somebody, care about somebody, you're going to tell them about Jesus. You're going to bring them to him. So <clears throat> as you're finding your way there to Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26, you know, it's easy to get caught up in the idea of missions without realizing our personal role uh, in the mission. For example, many of us love sports, right? I, I love to play sports every just about every Thursday night. I'm playing basketball. A lot of my high-low when I'm talking about that in Sunday school is about whether or not I did well on Thursday night. So like I was telling Sean this morning, I said, Thursday night, I didn't play very well, but I actually shot pretty good in one particular game. So I was, it was kind of a high and a low. Uh, you know, I'm trying to rehab this, this arm to where I can shoot again. So I was pretty happy that in one particular game I hit three three-pointers and actually hit the game-winning three-pointer. Not to brag, I'm just telling you what happened there. <laughs> Because <laughs> the rest of the time, I promise you, there were many air balls, but I'm going to tell you about the good stuff, which, you know, it's the, it's the Instagram story of the day. I'll tell you about all the good, leave out all the bad. But anyway, it's real easy to get caught up in, in those things, get caught up in the idea of missions without realizing our own personal role in that. And for many of us, we love sports. You've gone to a game. You, you just named the game. You sat in the bleachers. Uh, we pull for whatever our favorite team may be. I'm not going to name any names, but you pull for your favorite team. But never step foot on the playing field to make a contribution ourselves. We, we don't do that. You know, we're out there cheering. We holler. We complain. Why didn't they do this? Well, number one, you're not the coach, and you can call the play. Uh, why didn't they run this way? Well, you didn't see what they saw. You weren't running through the hole or cutting down the lane. You know, all these different things. But we, we think we're contributing, but we're really not. And then most of the time, we're just really great cheerleaders, uh, but not actual contributors. And a lot of times, that's what happens to us. Sadly, the same could be said for our churches. Sadly, the same could be said for our churches. We got a lot of people that are sitting in the bleachers saying what you should do and shouldn't do, but yet not contributing at all. And uh, it's, it's a challenge for us today, each and every single one of us, that we be contributors to the work of Christ through the kingdom work of a local church, and we need to be doing that. But there's a mission to that. There is a mission in what we do. So let's look at in in Luke. I, I don't know why I keep wanting to say Matthew, but look there in Luke chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. This is the account, as I said before, of where Jesus forgives and heals the paralytic. There's a lot in this text. We're not going to focus on every single point that we could focus on within this text today. But we're going to be looking at it from the viewpoint perspective of who's your one. Starting there in verse 17 of Luke chapter 5. 
Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on men men then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed. That that word is that's phrased a little different. Whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he, being Jesus, saw their faith, the four friends, he said to the man on the bed, Man, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or say, Rise up and walk? And we know which one would be easier to say, but then Jesus says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. We have seen strange things today. So today as we look at this, as we look at this passage of Scripture, a very familiar passage of Scripture here in Luke chapter 5, there's 17 through 26, I want us to see four realizations about these men in this text. Four realizations about these men. The first thing I want us to see is these men had a mission. They had a mission. They, they, they knew their friend was paralyzed, they had heard about Jesus in the surrounding regions and about what he had done and what he could do. And they said, we've got to get this guy to Jesus. Now, other people had already heard about what Jesus had done. And so someone in the city granted Jesus the opportunity to be in a home. Somebody was kind enough and generous enough and allowed Jesus to come in. And then it says in our text today that, some, that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. It said they had come from everywhere to hear Jesus teach. They had come there for him. Now, these men knew that we had to get to Jesus. We've got to get to Jesus. These other people had already made their way. They had crowded around. They were in the house. Other people had crowded around. Wouldn't it be great if church was so packed that people were crowding around? We had to open this double door and that double door and open these doors and the doors on the side because people just wanted to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be amazing? It'd be amazing. It'd be great, like I said last week, it'd be great if we had to put an air conditioning unit up here uh, in the balcony or even a heater because we had to uh, ask people to sit up there. It would be amazing. But that's what was taking place here in this situation. It was packed. And these men brought on a bed who was paralyzed. The, then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. Now, he was on a bed of sub four, some, some say stretcher, various translations, they say it all different, you know. Uh, whenever they come out with a new copy of God's Word, 10% of it's got to be changed so that they can uh, get copyrights for it. If you didn't know that, that's the truth, okay? So, 
we got to be aware uh, that, that what we're reading. So anyway, he's, he's on a bed, so it says, these four men are toting him. Toting him. He's paralyzed. He can't do much of anything himself. We don't know how paralyzed. We know at least he couldn't use his legs because that's normally what we associate with the word paralyzed. I mean, he could have been a quadriplegic. We really don't know where all four were paralyzed. But nonetheless, he couldn't get there himself, and his friends had to do something to get him there. So they had a mission. And mission drives us as individuals. And, and it drives our culture. It really does. Some of you, some of you are knocking it out of the park as Christians and, and Christian parents. You, you might even have a mission statement for your family. We've, we've tried to do this a couple of times and never really gotten to it. Uh, that sounds terrible. You're the pastor of the church. You ain't got one? No, I don't. My, my biggest thing is just tell people about Jesus. Live for Jesus and tell them about it. Okay, it's not complicated. Uh, I ain't got it stitched on a pillow somewhere at the house. I don't have it framed in some farmhouse frame so it looks over my mantle. I don't have all that stuff going on, but, but I know that's what I need to be doing. That's, that's what God's called me to do. But, but I know at one point in time, we did take a dry erase marker, and we would write scripture on our mirror in the bathroom, you know, and then once you got out of the shower, you know, then you had to rewrite it because it run down the, the window. But anyway, nonetheless, you know, you, you've got these ways of where you could put it, you could put the mission of Christ before your eyes over and over and over again. And by the way, that's a wise move to do, especially if you want to teach kids how to memorize scripture in their bathroom, take some scripture, take a dry erase marker and write it on there. It comes right off. It's no problem. So anyway, do that if you can. It's all good. You know, companies also have mission statements. Many, every company out there just about does. And what it is, these companies we work for uh, have mission statements. They help us stay on course. They help us stay focused on what we are to do and accomplish there at the work site. Uh, and when we get off course from our mission statement, all of a sudden, we're not doing what our, what our company has created, was created to do. Say, for example, I looked up some of the social medias and what their mission statements were so that I could share that with you, Okay. And you may say, oh, I don't like social media, but that's okay. Uh, I, I don't really like it either, but it's, it's just, unfortunately, one of those things that we do. Well, Facebook's mission statement is this, to give people the power to build community and bring the world closer together. You think Facebook's doing that? Probably not, probably not. You know what I mean? There's more divisive stuff on Facebook than anywhere else, honestly. All right, secondly, Instagram's mission statement, to capture and share the world's moments. And if you're on Instagram, you probably know that, but it's all their good moments most of the time, right? Not the bad moments, just the good moments. TikTok's mission statement is to inspire creativity and bring joy. I have to say I do laugh a lot at TikTok because I like to watch those epic fails. I, I like to see people fall down or skateboarders have accidents and stuff like that. Anyway, it's just funny. Anyway, so TikTok does bring joy to my life. Snapchat's mission statement is to empower people to express themselves, live in the moment, Learn about the world and have fun together. Uh, Snapchat is a very dangerous app to have. I do not recommend it to anyone, especially any teenagers or anything of that nature. Uh, it's a very dangerous app to have. Uh, I mean, all of these can be dangerous in the hands of people that, that uh, want to be careless or reckless. But at the same time, that one's pretty bad. And then the last one, which some of you may have never heard of, is called Be Real. Anybody ever heard of the Be Real app? That's a new one. But Be Real's mission statement is this, to create an alternative to addictive social medias. All right? If you don't know what Be Real is, by the way, 
Uh, my children have it. <laughs> but what it is, is in the moment, somebody takes a picture of, of themselves, and right there where they are, whatever they're doing, they take a picture of, of the scene of where they are. And you just do that, I think, like once a day. Is that right, Taryn? I mean, okay. Taryn, it's okay. I mean, you, you know, you do it. Uh, but anyway, um, but it's, it's a lot more just one time a day. So honestly, it does cut down on that. So it is, it is to create an alternative to addictive social medias. And you're supposed to respond like, what, within two minutes? Two minutes, that's right. All right. You're supposed to respond within two minutes of, because as soon as somebody does their B-reel, it notifies the people on their, on their thing, hey, they've, they've done a B-reel. So then you, you do that too, and then that's it for the day. Supposed to be. Anyway, so just, just giving you a little bit of heads up in case you got kids or grandkids or great-grandkids that are wanting to use these social media apps. There's a little bit of definition as to what those are. But Jesus, you know, also had a mission statement as well. In Luke 19.10, Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. That was Jesus' mission statement, to seek and to save the lost. And that is our mission statement. Then we get the great commission to go into all the world and to make disciples of all nations and to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Ghost, and to teach them all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's what Christ gives us is our mission statement. Jesus' mission statement was to seek and to save the lost. But we see these men here, specifically in our text today, their mission was to get this paralyzed friend to Jesus. They sought to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But verse 19 says, And when they could not find out how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed uh, through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. These men's mission was to get him to Jesus. This was their mission. They had determined to bring him here. And, and whom, like I said earlier, we assumed that he was a friend of these men so that Jesus could heal his paralysis. And that's, that's I mean, like we might not have friends that are paralyzed, but we might have friends that are paralyzed by sin. And we need them to, we don't want to bring them in and let them hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And listen, they're going to hear the gospel if they come here and hear me preach. I'm going, to, I'm going to share the gospel at the conclusion of every single service. You're going to hear most likely Romans 10, 9, and 10. You've heard it for almost two years straight at the end of almost every single sermon. If you don't know it by heart, wake up and listen to the conclusion of the sermon. You'll know it, okay? That, Mark 1, 15, John, 1 John 1, 9, these are all verses that by this time we should have a familiarity with, possibly even memorized. But these men's mission was to get them there. But this house was full of individuals who were the teachers of the day. Undoubtedly, this home, like I said, was granted for Jesus to be in. Because, you know, Jesus said, you know, uh, birds have nests and foxes have, have holes, but yet the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So it wasn't in his house. He was in somebody else's house who had generously allowed him to come in and talk and teach. And all these Pharisees and these other folks had gathered around to hear what he was saying. And I want you to understand that this stretcher was not going to deter, to deter their mission. Uh, the crowd was not going to deter their mission. The roof wasn't even going to deter their mission. And their mission was grounded in their Faith. They believed that Jesus could heal. 
Do we believe that Jesus can do what only Jesus can do? Do we believe that Jesus can heal? Do we believe that Jesus can save? If we truly believe that, we would really be about bringing people to Jesus. And you may say, I can't get them to come to church. Church Jesus. Church Jesus. Not the same thing. Not the same thing. Hopefully you'll find Jesus at church. If not, find a church that's got Jesus. Okay? But church and Jesus are not the same thing. Bring them to Jesus. And then once they come to faith in Jesus Christ, bring them to church. That way they may be acclimated and be a part of a local body of believers. That way they may be baptized so they can stand before all of you or whomever they choose to go to church with and say, I want this body of believers to be my church family, to hold me accountable to the faith I claim to have. That's the point of baptism and to begin your public ministry, not your private time, public ministry. Jesus was baptized and he began his what? Public ministry. Every one of us, after we're baptized, should be telling people in public about Jesus. It ain't a private faith. You know, so many people today say, oh, you need to keep your faith to yourself. That's absolutely foreign to anything in the Bible. Foreign. If there's anything that should be more public than anything else, it's not your Snapchat, it's not your Facebook post, it's not your Instagram. The most public thing you should have is your faith in Jesus Christ. There should be nothing more public than that. Nothing. So we, we see this. See, they, they come in here and they bring this man. Their mission was to get this man to Jesus. We've got to have a mission. What drives you? What drives your mission? What drives you? What things spiritually has God put on your heart that you long to see come to fruition in your lifetime? What are those things? Are you praying? Maybe you've got a wayward son or daughter or granddaughter or grandson. Are you praying for them earnestly? Asking God, please draw them unto your son, Jesus Christ. May they be redeemed. May they come to a knowledge of, of who they are. May they repent and believe in Jesus Christ. What drives you? And do you have kingdom dreams such as people coming to faith in Christ? Or your dreams all tied to this life alone. I want to achieve this. I want to achieve that. Listen, I want to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Is that your dream? Is that your desire? We need to have, we need to have God's kingdom dreams. We need to have dreams that says, I want to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. When I came here, I said, you know what? I'm not about, I'm not about church plucking. I want to see, see people be saved by the grace of God. I want to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. If we don't, if, you know, if somebody from another church wants to come here, and that's fine. Praise God. Man, awesome. Good. Let's, you know, but I want to see people saved. Saved. There's so many lost people in this world. So many lost people in this world. That's the reason why this all, this who's your one is so important for us to understand 
the urgency. Look around our nation. The urgency of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ is so important. We cannot be lax in our public profession of faith in Jesus Christ. We cannot be lax in that. We've got to be faithful in that. Secondly, I want you to understand, these men had an eager expectation. They had an eager expectation. They actually believed Jesus could heal this man. They thought, if, I, if we could just get to him, if we can just get to him, they took a risk because of the mission. How many of you have ever taken a risk in your life? How many of you have ever taken a risk? You think back to men and women in the Bible, yeah. You think back to Joshua. Joshua leading the Israelites into the promised land. He took a risk. I don't think it's much of a risk because he trusted the Lord. But nonetheless, it's a risk. You think about that. You think about Elijah on Mount Carmel. You think about Gideon going in to fight with, all, with so few people versus such a large army, if you will. He placed his faith there. Man, what a risk that he took. And listen, we now live on the other side of Jesus' work on the cross and through the empty tomb. So how much greater should our expectations be? We should have great expectations. How many people have risen from the grave? Not that many. Very few. Our expectations should be huge. How, like I said, how many of you have ever taken that risk? You've stepped out uh, to take that job, leaving one you've had for a while. Anybody ever done that? I have. Yeah. Left the town maybe where you grew up and went somewhere else. Hang on just a minute before Siri starts asking me questions. Let me cut her off. All right. I mean, how many of you done that? I mean, you've done that before. You chose a different group of friends due to their destructive choices in life. How many of you ever done that? That's hard to do. That's good to do. You need to do it. You chose something new to do using the giftedness that Christ has given you. How many of you have done that? Maybe you've done that. Maybe you taught a class. You said, I don't know if I've ever taught a class before. I know I was super proud James Goodwin taught a class, taught Carl's kids one Sunday morning. I know that's out of his wheelhouse. That's not normal for him. But man, how proud was I when they told me that he did that. Man, it's awesome. Sometimes you got to step out of your comfort zone. you got to take a risk because you expect Christ to do something great. Which, by the way, if you want to step out and take a risk, Wednesday night starting in April, I need three to four teachers on Wednesday nights. I need you. I need somebody, and I need you to step up and do that. Wednesday night for the adults. All right, you've taken a risk. Maybe you bought someone's meal. You thought, I don't know if I can afford this, but I'm just going to do it. Maybe you've been in line, and you said, I'm going to buy, the, buy the, the meal for the person behind me. And I just want to tell them I'm doing it in Jesus' name. Just tell them, if you wouldn't mind, please tell them I'm doing this uh, for God's glory, for Jesus' name. And, uh, you know, I've seen people do that before. And they'll give like a card, and they'll pass it on. and said, so-and-so paid for your meal. And man, what a blessing that would be. You stepped out taking a risk. Maybe you've served someone. You've shared Christ with someone. You've gone on a mission trip to the next door neighbor's door. That's a mission trip. You've gone with a mission to meet the neighbor. You've gone with a mission to share the gospel. That's a mission trip. You may say, I've never been on a mission trip. Yeah, you have. If you've done that, that's a mission trip. Or maybe you've, you've gone so far, maybe you've gone overseas, or maybe gone somewhere else in the state or in the nation, and you've gone on a mission trip where you actually had to go out somewhere further out, get outside your own context and culture and community. 
but you've taken a mission trip. You've, you've, you've had an eager expectation to see God work. When we believe in the mission, we will put forth the effort to see that mission reached and accomplished. When we believe in the mission, it'll happen. Do you have an eager expectation of someone coming to faith? I, don't know, I was told Tiffany used the three circles uh, or, or spoke that to some people down there where she uh, cuts hair and everything like that. I hope that you've gotten your reps in. Maybe you've been getting your reps in. Somebody's called you on the phone and said, Hey, look, I've been learning something on Wednesday nights. Is it okay if I share it with you? There you've opened the door. And if they say yes, then say, Okay, well, let me explain it to you. And then you walk right through it. Hopefully you've done that. And if you've done it, you can have your book right there with you. You, can, you, you ain't got to act like, I've asked some folks to come to the front and, and do it without any help. But you could be looking at it and go, this means this, this means this, this. You know what I mean? That's okay. Because you're sharing the gospel. And, of course, there is an app. So if you've got an app store through, through iOS or Android, you can download the app as well. But anyway, keep moving through this. Do, do, do you, does your eager expectation move you to action? Does it move you to action? Just like these four men, these four men had the expectation and had the uh, effort to move forward. These men also, though, they encountered an obstacle. They encountered an obstacle. And it tells us there that, and we've already looked at this a couple of times, that there was a large crowd. There was also the roof, and they had to get through there to get this man down to Jesus. Because the crowd, there was no way to him. You know, sometimes, sometimes we understand the old adage, uh, if, one, if God closes one door, another will open. Right? Oh, man, we love to use that, don't we? We love to use that. Well, it's not always your preferred door. It's not always your preferred door. Uh, I wrote this down so I can say it right. You know, what if that door was not what you expected? We have this prosperity mindset, if you will, so often that every door the Lord opens is to immediately bless me financially, medically, physically, mentally, or emotionally. That's what we think a lot of times. We've got this prosperity mindset. Oh, if God closed one door, he's going to open another one. But what if that, what if that door was like to where uh, a bunch of Pharisees were standing around stoning you with stones? You think Stephen was like, oh, this is such an amazing door, Jesus. No. Do you think Paul said, oh, I love this door. I was shipwrecked, and I was bitten by a snake, and I've been thrown in prison. Oh, what a wonderful door you've given me, Jesus. I don't think so. You know what I mean? Like, but he used it. This is the thing. He used the joy that was within him to change the environment around him. He used the Savior that was within him to change the environment around him. Just when one door closes, when one, another door opens, it doesn't always mean that it's a prosperity door. But you may prosper from the fact spiritually because God has opened that door. But it may not be how you thought it should have opened. Or to where it should have opened. But these guys encountered this obstacle that was in front of them. And, and there are obstacles that can hinder us from our service for the Lord. All these obstacles, man. All these things. There's a large crowd. Oh, these guys are the, the teachers of the law. There's a roof. There's, there's stairs. There's all these different things. How are we going to get this guy up? There's four of us. We're toting him. How are we going to keep him from sliding off the bed as we go up the steps? You know, How are we going to finagle this guy? Two of y'all are going to have to press him up like this. Another two are going to have to go like that. You know what I mean? We're going to have to really work at it. If you've ever moved furniture, you know you've got to communicate. 
And like these guys are moving this guy who's paralyzed, so they're going to have to communicate. So they're toting him up like this so that he stays level. And man, that's some work. Anybody ever had to uh, help somebody out that was really down and out? Uh, you know, like they couldn't move their legs for a little bit? Man, I'm telling you, it's challenging. The human body weight, when there's no assistance from the legs, that's heavy. It don't matter the size of the individual. It's difficult. And these guys, these guys said, I, we are moving past all these obstacles. He needs to be to Jesus. And their mission drove them to get this guy past all the obstacles so they may get to Jesus. We've got a lot of fickle obstacles for us today. Oh, well, church is too early. Sunday school is too early. Church is too early. That's not a time I can go. This, that, and the other. We, man, come on. Cut it out. Church, it all, everywhere, almost everywhere in the United States, at some point in time, started, starts at either 9, 10, or 11 o'clock. Every Sunday. Every Sunday. There's no excuse. Most of the time, if you work a daytime job, you've got to be there at 8 or 7 or 6. So you get to sleep in a little bit. Quit with the complaining. Quit with the whining. That's not an obstacle. You know what that is? It's called laziness. It's just what it is. And these guys said, our friend most likely is a quadriplegic. He can't do nothing for himself. We're taking him to see Jesus. We're getting him up on a bed, all four of us. They, I, you know, one of them said, well, my wife's got to do this today. Another one said, well, my grandkids have got a softball game. And, and, and this out here, this, I don't care. One of you grab a corner, we're taking him to Jesus. But we like to use every little thing in today's culture. And we think that that's so much more important than taking somebody to Jesus. Man, come on now. I ain't talking about just sometimes you got random things that happens around a church. I'm talking about worshiping the Lord. I'm talking about coming in here and being a part of your church family on Sunday mornings. I'm talking about being in a Sunday school class where you can build community and fellowship and know one another and other struggles one another is going through. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Getting past the, tip, the, the little ticky-tack obstacles and getting them to Jesus. What has derailed you from your mission? What has derailed us from our missions? And what would it look like for you to dig a hole in a roof? Hmm? What would it look like? It's called commitment is what it looked like. Commitment and a belief that Jesus can do what only Jesus can do. Fourth, these men got more than they bargained for. They got more than they bargained for. When they went in there, they dropped him down. He was on his bed. He was in the midst before Jesus there in verse 20. It says, when he saw their faith, he said to them, man, your sins are forgiven. I don't think they were coming in there really thinking Jesus was going to be forgiven sins of this guy, you know. They brought him in there because he was paralyzed. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason. Who is this that speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And in Jesus, when he perceived their thoughts, listen. Woo. Jesus, knowing what we're thinking. Jesus, knowing what we're thinking. Like even when you're sitting there right now and I just used all those illustrations about things that are petty that hinder us from getting to church. Jesus knowing what you're thinking. Man, he might be talking about me. He's done this. He knows this. He knows. Who cares? I don't care. Don't, don't worry about what I know. Worry about what he knows. Don't worry about what I know. 
I don't know half the stuff that goes on in your brain. Thank God. I don't want to know. Okay? But God knows it. God knows it. And he still loves you. And he still loves you. He still loves me. When you just let, just let that... Just let that resonate for a minute in your mind and in your heart. He knows all the thoughts you think and still loves you the same. What an obstacle that he could use to say, I'm not going to love them. But he says, no. Still love them. Still love them. Still do. But these men, (laughs) these men got way more than they bargained for. And when Jesus perceived their thoughts he answered and said to them why are you reasoning in your hearts which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise up and walk we know it'd be a whole lot easier just to say your sins are forgiven right because nobody can see that nobody can know did he really do that i mean can he really do that of course these teachers were sitting there listening i'm sure they had heard they had heard rumors they had and some of them probably heard jesus before and they'd come back again who knows if nicodemus might have been one of those guys and he's just like i'm just sitting in on this to hear a little more man i like this guy you know it's like I'll, I'll subscribe to his podcast you know whatever they're, they're coming in there and they're listening to him and, and and they're hearing what he has to say and and, and jesus says all right look <laughs> Who am I to say that your sins are forgiven? But let me just let me just show you. Just to show you that I have forgiven his sins and I have the power to do so. Hey, dude, pick up your bed and walk. Go home. And then he picks up his bed and he goes home. Now they're like confounded. What? Now, now wait a minute. He, he said this and then he said that. And then he said this to say that. Whoa, we've seen strange things here today. Right? They were blown away, if you use today's language. Or maybe that was 90s language. I don't know. But <laughs> they were blown away. They were taken aback, if you will. If you want to put it back a few more decades. <laughs> they, were, they were astounded. Yes, his sins were forgiven. Yes, his ailment, his long-term sickness was fixed. Why is that? Because Jesus saw the faith of those who brought him to Jesus. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to him, man, your sins are forgiven. They got a lot more than what they were bargaining for. They got a lot more than what they were bargaining for. I pray that you have experienced this grace of God. I pray that you have. I pray that you got a lot more than what you bargained for when you came to faith in Jesus Christ. And you have, and you know what? You did. You have and you did when you came to faith in Jesus Christ. You got a grace and forgiveness that was amazing. You got a new heart that is finally rhythmically beating to the will of God. You finally got that. You got new desires that was focused externally, not just selfishly, but externally as well. You got a relationship with Jesus that will last for eternity. You got a lot more than you bargained for. Amen. I got a lot more than what I bargained for. I am very grateful for that. And when I think about what I got, I think about those that that helped to lead me to Christ. 
Those who helped, for a lack of better terms, or as I've heard it said in the past, put me on the doorstep close to Jesus. It's what they did. I'm grateful for my mom and daddy. I'm thankful for my brother. I'm thankful for being raised in the church. I'm thankful for Randy Huddleston. I'm thankful for... Um, I thank for Mr. Bible, who prayed some of those powerful prayers. He never really had a personal impact on me, but his praying was amazing. And I'll never forget that. And I, I, I'm grateful for Mr. Bible. I'm grateful for, uh, for Miss Faith Self, who loved me. And she was a great woman of God. I'm thankful for all these people that did so much to help lead me to Christ. I had so many people. I think about Paul Blanchard, and I think about Lamar Dinkins, and I think about all these men and, and women that, that helped. My dad being my Sunday school teacher, and, and Marita Fike, who, who, who challenged me in that, as I've talked about before, even though I lost, that scripture memorization contest because I've written those things on my heart. I'm thankful for them. I'm thankful for all those people that invested in me. Could you imagine this paraplegic, this, this guy with paralysis? Man, how thankful he was after this for these four men that had faith that Jesus could heal him. And he didn't just heal him physically, he healed him spiritually. I want you to think about who, who has played a role in you trusting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Have you praised God and thanked God for them? I hope you do. And then from that, from that, I pray that you'll see that you too can be instrumental in the work of Christ in other people. God, like I said before, I said it Wednesday night, I've said it many a times. If God wanted to just save us and bring us on to heaven, if, if that was God's will just to get us to heaven, when he saved us, he would have raptured each and every single individual home. But God's will is that we be a part of the work of the kingdom, each and every single one of us. You might be somebody who's on the four corner of the stretcher of somebody. Maybe not physically their stretcher, but they're at their wit's end. They're struggling. They're having a hard time. They don't know where else to turn. But you said, you know what? I'm going to pick up this corner of the bed and I'm going to walk you to Jesus. I'm going to be a part. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's you going out and being a fisherman for Christ, if you will. I hope that's you. I got one more thing to share with you very quickly. It's, it's a little long, but hang in here with me. It's a story of fishermen and the challenge to us when we think of who's our one. Who is our one? Who's our one? I want to read this story to you, so I'm going to be looking down a little bit. So now it came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen. And lo, there were many fish in the waters all around. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams and lakes filled with fish. And the fish were hungry week after week, month after month, and year after year. These who called themselves fishermen met in meetings and talked about their call to fish, the abundance of fish, and how they might go about fishing. Year after year, they carefully defined what fishing means, defended fishing as an occupation, and declared that fishing is always to be a primary task of fishermen. Continually, they searched for new and better methods of fishing and for new and better definitions of fishing. They created witty slogans and displayed them on big, beautiful banners. These fishermen built large, beautiful buildings called fishing headquarters. The plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and every fisherman should fish. 
One thing they didn't do, however, they did not fish. In addition to meeting regularly, they organized a board to send out fishermen to other places where there were many fish. The board, were, the board hired staffs and appointed committees and held many, many, many meetings to define fishing, to defend fishing, and to decide what new streams should be thought about. But the staff and committee members did not fish. Large, elaborate, and expensive training centers were built whose, org whose original and primary purpose was to teach fishermen how to fish. Over the years, courses were offered on the needs of fish, the nature of fish, where to find fish, even the psychological reactions of fish, and how to approach and feed fish. Those who taught had doctorates in fishology, but the teachers did not fish. They only taught fishing. Year after year, after tedious training, many graduated and were giving fishing licenses. They were sent to do full-time fishing, some to distant waters, which were filled with fish. Many who felt the call to be fishermen responded. They were commissioned and sent to fish. But like the fishermen back home, they never fished. They engaged in all kinds of other occupations. Some felt their job was to relate to the fish in a good way, so the fish would know the difference between good and bad fishermen. Others felt that simply letting the fish know they were nice, land-loving neighbors and how loving and kind they were was enough. Now it's true that many of the fishermen sacrificed and put up with all kinds of difficulties. Some lived near the water and bore the smell of dead fish every day. They received the ridicule of some who made fun of their fishermen's clubs and the fact that they claimed to be fishermen yet never fished. Imagine how hurt some were when one day a person suggested that those who don't fish were really not fishermen. No matter how much they claimed to be. Yet it, it did sound correct. Is a person a fisherman if year after year he or she never fishes? More plainly stated, is one really following if he isn't fishing? It's time to start casting our nets, guys. Who's the one you're going fishing after? Who's your one? 